0: Hello brothers and sisters. It's a kind of a cold and overcast day today, but the snow is all gone and soon we shall be meeting together at the cross. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 today, verses 5, probably through 12. And we're going to start out with a prayer from the Valley of Vision entitled Man's Great End, and then we'll get on to the sermon. So if you'll pray with me lord of all being there is one thing that deserves my greatest care that calls forth my ardent desires that is that i may answer the great end for which i am made to glorify thee who has given me being to do all the good i can for my fellow men verily life is not worth having if it be not improved for this noble purpose yet lord how little is this the thought of mankind most men seem to live for themselves without much or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. Thy earnest desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, and pleasures of this life as if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false, delusive dreams are these, and how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them. FOR ALL OUR HAPPINESS CONSISTS IN LOVING THEE, AND BEING HOLY AS THOU ART HOLY. OH, MAY I NEVER FALL INTO THE TEMPTERS AND VANITIES, THE SENSUALITIES AND FOLLY OF THE PRESENT WORLD. IT IS A PLACE OF INEXPRESSIBLE SORROW, A VAST EMPTY NOTHINGNESS. TIME IS A MOMENT, A VAPOR, AND ALL ITS ENJOYMENTS ARE EMPTY BUBBLES, FLEETING BLASTS OF WIND, FROM WHICH NOTHING SATISFACTORY CAN BE DERIVED. GIVE ME GRACE, ALWAYS, to keep in covenant with thee, and to reject as delusion a great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me, apart from a life lived in and for the Son of thy love. Amen. Our verses today in Isaiah chapter 6. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of polluted lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of polluted lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me with a hot coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with the tongs. And he touched my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, and thine iniquity shall be taken away, and thy sin shall be purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say unto this people, Ye shall hear indeed, but ye shall not understand, ye shall plainly see, and not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and he heal them. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without men, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord, have removed men far away, and there be a great desolation in the midst of the land. This was the the ending of the first five chapters where where God had brought the charges against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And he had told them, basically, that they had received much privilege. They had received a lot from him, and they should be grateful. But instead of being grateful for all that the Lord has given them, instead, they despised the Holy One of Israel. And after so long of despising God god brought judgment and this judgment come in various ways but it had a dual purpose purpose number one was to bring them to repentance as a nation purpose number two at the very least if the whole nation was not to repent he wanted to preserve a remnant that would repent judah had been observing religious rites in chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. kind of gives us an idea of what they were doing and how the Lord was responding to these religious rites. What I have to do with the multitude of your sacrifices, saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and in the fat of fed beasts, and I desire not the blood of bullocks, nor of lambs, nor of goats. When you come to appear before me, who required this of your hands to tread in my courts? Bring no more oblations in vain. Incense is an abomination unto me. I cannot suffer your new moons, nor sabbaths, nor solemn days. It is iniquity, nor solemn assemblies. My soul hateth your new moons and your appointed feasts, They are a burden unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you shall stretch your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. And though ye make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. So you can see that their, their hearts were far, far from God, and their hands were full of blood. And these religious rites that they were offering were not pleasing to God at all. And they were unwilling, in verses 16 and 17, they were unwilling even to protect the weakest members. Isaiah wrote, Wash you, make you clean, take away the evil from your works from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, and defend the widow. So these were things he was telling them, Jerusalem and Judah, that they needed to do that they were not doing. They were called to be the picture of faithfulness to the Lord. They were the bar. But yet they had unrestrained faithfulness on every level. On their personal level, their morals were out the window. They had no devotion. They were self-centered. Their actions that they did were right in their own eyes. Even if they didn't line up with scripture, their actions were right in their own eyes. They were, had unrestrained faithfulness, unfaithfulness in their religion. They didn't care about God and they didn't love God. As Isaiah had said in chapter 1, they were doing religiously what they felt was right in their own eyes and God was tired of it. He was sick of it. On the social level, they weren't loving their neighbors and they weren't loving others. Now, if you remember, Jesus had simmered down, so to speak, ten commandments into two in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets love god love your neighbor so what wasn't judah and jerusalem doing they weren't loving god and loving their neighbor what isn't america doing and potentially the whole world i can't speak for an entire world but i can speak for america and that they're not loving god and loving their neighbors anymore in the true Biblical sense. Judah and Jerusalem, as well as America, had become unclean. They were living as we live in an unclean generation. We have outright haters of God and you can see that just about anywhere where blasphemy is tolerated and it comes out of people's mouths non-stop. God's been expelled from everywhere. We have a sliding scale of morals where now fornication, adultery, and drunkenness, disrespect, you name it, is openly tolerated. And nobody will stand up and say, hey, you know, that's not right. You shouldn't be acting like that. And this unbelief has turned our nation and turned Judah and Jerusalem away from God. And we've seen uh, this turning away from God as our personal lives, our church lives. Every aspect of life seems to be under under attack at this point. And when a nation turns away from God, it doesn't just turn to the left or to the right. It has to turn as it has completely around. And you end up going from loving God to God's judgment. There's no in between. God had promised through Abraham's descendants that the world would be blessed. And this come in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, For the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. He had also said that out of David's throne shall come the one that will lead the world to salvation. And this is in Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy body, and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he sin, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the plagues of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from me. As I took it from Saul, whom I have put away before thee, and thine house shall be established, and thy kingdom forever before thee. Even thy throne shall be established. He also had wrote in Psalms 89, and we look into verses 19 through 37, Thou Bakest then in a vision unto thine holy one, and saidest, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of thy family. I have found David my servant, and with mine holy oil I have anointed him. Therefore mine hand shall be established with him, and my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not oppress him, neither shall the wicked hurt him. But I will destroy his foes before his face, and plague them that hate him. My truth also and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the floods. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him for evermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seat also will I make to endure for ever, and his throne as the days of heaven. But if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgment, if they break my statues and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with strokes. <clears throat> Yet my loving kindness will I not take from him, neither will I falsify my truth. My covenant will I not break, not alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. I have sworn once by my holiness that I will not fail David, saying, His seed shall endure forever and His throne shall be as the sun before me. He shall be established forevermore as the moon and as a faithful witness in the heaven. Selah. So despite these promises, Judah and Jerusalem were the picture of unfaithfulness. They had turned from God and they turn to the world. In our nation, or our nations, have done the same. God is out. Personal wants and desires have taken the forefront. We're more interested in worldly desires. And any better offer that we get will take us away from God, take us away from worship. Facebook, video games, the internet. If we compared our screen time to our prayer time, Which one do you think would take precedent? Which one would show you exactly where it is that we invest our time? Wholesome worship music is being replaced with ear tickling music. Bible time of reading and studying is barely existent. We can see in our churches that soup suppers are packed to the hilt. Meanwhile, the worship is empty showing us that food and entertainment is greater than god the way the world is seeing it we've stepped away from god and god is in the background and at the very best he's in our way we interact with god at the very best we're lukewarm what's actually happening as i said is god is in one direction and the world is in another God is not in the background to all of this. If you are looking at the world, you have your back turned to God. And here is where Judah and Jerusalem were in America is. They turned their back on God. They turned the promises and the fears of the world. They've trusted in the world where moth and rust will destroy They're worshipping, they're knelt down, they're bowed down before the world's altar. And the more that we worship and the more that they worship the world altar, it drags us away from God. It drags us away from godly worship. And I'm here to tell you that we're not being drug away unwillingly. Holiness has left God's people. They've done what is right in their own eyes. They do unto others as they feel they deserve to be treated. They respect no one. Many have no sign that the truth is in them. They'll lie, cheat, and steal without a second thought. They'll do whatever it takes to get what they want. Many churches out there are folding up. Some are becoming apostate. Many can't even be holy for even an hour is inside the walls of God's house and inside of the church is complaining, backbiting, bitterness and hatred toward one another. And here we stand, as did Judah and Jerusalem, not solidly worshipping God. Worshipping the world, worshipping self with godless ideologies. If God is to turn a nation back to himself, he usually will not do it the easy way. God will purify his people through the judgment how will he do it by the preaching of his word Romans 10 14 and 15 but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher God had called Isaiah to take his message to the people First, Isaiah had to be converted and convicted of sin. Then he was purified. We see this in 6, 5 through 7. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of polluted lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of polluted lips. For mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me with a hot coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with the tongs, and he touched my mouth and said, Lo, this is, hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity shall be taken away, and thy sin shall be purged. God is going to equip the scent, but the scent will be born again. He's not going to send forth a fornicator. He's not going to send forth a drunk. He's not going to send forth somebody with attitude issues to go out and preach his word. He's going to convict them of their sin, He's going to give them the new heart to be born again. He's going to give them the message that he wants proclaimed, and then he's going to send them. And this is the process that Isaiah went through. Verse 5, he sees his sin. Verses 6 and 7, he's purified of that sin. He gets a calling in verse 8. The message is given in verse 9, which is a message of judgment. After the judgment, we see verse 10. The length of the judgment is verse 11. The results of the judgment, verse 12. And you know, we pray for those around us to be saved. Lord, please save my mom, my dad, my brother, my cousin, my friend. But do we, as born-again Christians, go forth with the message? Do we bring the gospel? Or do we have a fear of man? Or maybe we don't know what to say. We don't want to wreck a friendship or be alienated by going out and preaching the truth of the gospel to to anyone that you see that's in sin. Do we pray that the Lord saves those people or do we pray that the Lord sends the scent? As was in Romans, how are they going to hear without a preacher? If our country, whether it be the USA, Germany, Brazil, are to return to the Lord, we must go through judgment, and God's word must be preached, and God will send preachers with a message. And it's not going to be one speaking to thousands, possibly. It could be thousands speaking to others, perhaps thousands speaking to one person. If you are called to speak to another, you can't run. Remember? Jonah ran. God brought him back. I tried to run. I tried to get out of doing what I knew I was called to do. And God brought me back. God's message will get out. And you will not stop it. Isaiah's message included proclamation of a coming king. Our message is of the king that was born of a virgin had an earthly ministry, was tried before Pontius Pilate, sentenced to death, died upon a cross, was buried, resurrected on the third day, the dentist's sin paid, now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting for the day of his second coming. But we lack boldness to deliver this message. John MacArthur said, One of the problems of evangelism today is that Christians are not willing to stand nose-to-nose with the world and tell it like it is concerning Jesus Christ. The gospel is emasculated to accommodate everybody's prejudice. We need boldness. It's sad that the boldness of Peter and John is far from what most of us experience in our own lives. And most, when confronted with needing to send a message to somebody or deliver that message, most will run or slink away. In verse 8, Isaiah heard the call to go. God said, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? It gives no indication in the text of Isaiah trying to slip out or slink away. But Isaiah stood up boldly And he said, here I am. Send me. Not saying that you need to engage everyone with the gospel, but when you hear God calling, be ready to go. Be studied up, be prayed up, and be ready. You can try to run, but it hasn't been successful yet. You can try and do the one thing that nobody has ever accomplished. But you too will not be successful. You may never be sent to pronounce judgment on an entire nation as Isaiah was. You may only be sent to share the gospel with one person. This is how Christianity has spread, and this is how Christianity will continue to be spread. Calling out to those, God has started the rebirth process in. How shall they hear, I ask you, without a preacher? As Isaiah went in, it was opposite of why we'd go we go to bring to bring good news of jesus christ isaiah came to condemn to have a hardening effect their characters were laid bare in chapters 1 through 5 of isaiah they had forsaken god they were estranged from him they rejected and despised him we see the same now when we're around worldly people most are careless blaspheming deceitful selfish self-centered Unchrist like attitudes. When Christ is mentioned, you hear outbursts of hatred and scorn toward the one who could save their own souls. And they take it out on you as the messenger. These comparisons between Judah, Jerusalem, and America are alarming. God didn't take his word from Judah or Jerusalem, and he hasn't taken his word from America. Instead, he sent a preacher to further condemn them. You shall hear my word, but not understand the word. You shall see God working, but not perceive God's workings. And this is a spiritual condition in which we find our nation's hearts dull to the Lord, ears heavy so they won't hear, eyes shut to the obvious workings of God. If only they could see, if only they could hear, And if only they could understand, they could be converted and be healed. But yet, while God had left them able to see, hear, and understand, they chose not to, and they had forsaken God. And the same is here. We have forsaken God. He's out of our school, out of our government, out of our homes. We as a nation have told God we don't need you. We don't need your preachers, and we don't need their prayers. We have our own morals. We have our own ways to sustain ourselves. You, God, are old. You, God, are outdated. You, God, are needless. But this should not stop us from sharing our faith. We share in hopes and expectation of a soul being converted. But we must be ready. Possibly, it could only harden them more. But should we stop? God asked Isaiah in verse 11, How long? And God answers, Until the cities lie in waste, without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. In other words, keep preaching, keep witnessing, keep sharing until none are left, until you draw not another breath. And these are the lessons to be learned from Isaiah. If you're born again, God will call you to witness. Be bold. Stand before the saved, stand before the unsaved. Stand unto life and stand unto death. Be obedient. Many may listen to the message that you preach, but not hear. They may see, but not perceive. With their dull hearts, they may not understand. Preach and witness anyway. Isaiah knew he was preaching to bring judgment. And know that you too may be witnessing to bring judgment. Not every encounter will bring a spiritual healing or a spiritual blessing. But some may. You never know. One out of ten may. Ten out of ten may. But I will tell you that ten out of ten won't ever obey God if the message is never delivered. Even knowing it wasn't going to be quick or easy, Isaiah went. Preach and witness until no one's left. All in and converted or all gone. You will look foolish. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are saved, it's a power of eternal life. This country's forsaken God. False gospels are tolerated. False gospels are believed. Biblical ignorance is... And not reading, not studying, not praying is a growing part of the problem. I call you today to be part of that solution. Until we stand up as a united front and bring Christ to the nation, we'll never see the country turn back to God. And the only way to do this is to seek God on the throne of our country. Witness, preach, and pray. We are seeing God's judgment. We've seen it before. The only difference now is people are a long ways from God, farther than ever before. Millions of babies have been sacrificed. God's been removed. Humans are being trafficked. Menly, worldly things are being placed before God. We have now seen plagues. We've seen famine. We're seeing rising inflation. Odd weather patterns. So many different things from the past. But where does it end? We were given a chance. We were given a chance and Christians did nothing. They stood there and took it. While the world pushed farther in, the church did nothing. Pacifist message being preached from behind pulpits let the world in to trample over the Bible, trample on the cross, trample on Christ, trample on God himself, as Christians sat idly by, turning the other cheek. Where will it end? It'll end when God's people stand up as a united front. The false gospels and the false Christ are being rooted out. Those ideologies promising so many non-biblical things that appease our lusts and sins cannot hold up under God's judgment. Name it and claim it. Humanism. Atheism. False doctrine about a creator that submits to the creation. Here in God's time of judgment the true christians the true believers in the biblical christ must step forward and proclaim him to family friends neighbors and the world witnessing and proclaiming until until the cities be wasted without inhabitants the houses without men and the land be utterly desolate and the lord have removed men far away and there be a greater desolation in the midst of the land the reward is a tenth we may be hurtling towards the end times. There's no reason to stand back and allow our Savior to be trampled upon. No reason to become full-blown pacifists and sit down and stop fighting. We need to keep pushing forward. Jesus Christ is still building his church. Many will come to repentance yet. Many will see salvation. The fight isn't over until the sky lights and the Son of God returns. Then comes our rest, when we rest in the arms of Christ. Until then, we must fight as battles rage on every front all around us. I hope and pray that when you hear the call from God, the call that asks the question, Whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? You do not slink off, but rather grab your Bibles. Rise to your feet before a holy and righteous God and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our ministries, what you're doing for us, Lord. I thank you that you sent your Son to that cross. I ask that you have opened our ears, opened our hearts, and opened our eyes to this message, Lord, so that when the time comes, that we can stand up, Bibles raised and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And if the time has already come and we didn't see it or we slinked off, Lord, allow us that time to repent, to repent of that on our parts, Lord, and give us another chance. Give us one more chance to stand forth, to grab our Bibles, to go forth with the heart of Christ and proudly proclaim the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in His name and in His blood that I pray. Amen.